Last week we, uh, we, we uh, spoke about and we looked at this matter of eternal rewards, and this weekend we're going to uh, do the same. And so let's bow for a word of prayer. And uh, as Fran and I were praying earlier this morning, uh, a picture that she got about this, uh, this whole uh, topic was that God, it, was a, it was a picture of a window, and the shades were closed, and the shades were opening, and God's light was shining into an area that needed to be exposed, because it will impact you for eternity. It'll change what you do today, if you get it, and, it'll and because of that, it will affect your long tomorrow, your line, your eternity. And so let's uh, bow and just uh, engage with the Lord in this matter and thank Him for shining light in this particular area. Father, thank You so much that You are shining Your light um, on this particular area, an area that um, Satan, no doubt, the enemy, no doubt, wants to keep hidden because it is a motivating factor. It's a huge motivating factor for us as believers uh, to live the kind of life you called us to live here in the dot that will affect and transform and change our tomorrow, our long tomorrow, our time with you forever. And so we just uh, choose now this morning to engage our minds and to engage our hearts in what you're going to say, to have an openness to what you're going to say, uh, to uh, uh, for our hearts to be subtle, supple, so that you can, you can plant, that the seed that is planted can, uh, that it can grow there, that it's not snatched away by the enemy. So we choose to engage in this matter, and we choose to submit to you and to your word today. And we invite you to speak to us personally, in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we said we're living in the dot. James 4, 14 says, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. But what we do in the dot determines the line or our long tomorrow, as Tozer said. Our, uh, our faith or your faith in the dot in this short time period determines your destination, whether it's going to be heaven or whether it's going to be hell. Your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ or your lack of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for your sins determines what your destination is going to be. But your works will determine uh, your reward in heaven. The one central business of this life is to prepare for the next. So let's continue today by looking at loss of rewards before we end on a high note as we look at what God rewards us for. Did you know that you can lose your reward here? That while you're living in the dot in this short period of time, you can lose your reward just like you can lose your salvation. You can lose your reward. You can, uh, there are things that you can do or neglect to do which would cause you to lose the reward that God had intended for you and I. So let's look at that. In Revelations 3 verse 11 it says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. We are to guard our reward. Why? Because we can be disqualified from receiving them. Paul was concerned about that in his own life. He said, I discipline my body, keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. John warned in 2 John 1.8, he said, watch yourselves 
so that you may not lose what, uh, what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Scripture is just absolutely clear about this matter. So how can you lose your reward? And there's many ways that you can lose your reward. I'm, I'm going to only focus on two, and then I'm going to list three very, very quickly, and there's others. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a matter of selection, and the Holy Spirit has to guide that, what He wants to use. And uh, uh, in this particular case, I, uh, there's two that I think He wants us to focus on uh, this morning. And the first one is, by not fulfilling God's specific plan for your life. In Ephesians 2.10, which we looked at the verse that we looked at last week, it said, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, God has a customized plan uh, tailored especially for each individual, for each one of you, for me. Uh, and uh, in, and um, that is very important. Psalm 139, 16 says, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In regard to your calling, you'll not be judged according to what you did. Get this. Now, last week we were talking about it and we said, we'll, we'll be judged according to what we do. And it's true, but now I want to take it a step further. You won't be judged according specifically and rewarded specifically just for what you did, but for what God called you to do. In other words, if you're doing good things, but things that somebody else should have been doing, or that God didn't call you to do, then God will not reward you because he called you for a specific thing. That's the point I'm trying to make here. You say, it doesn't matter where I serve God, or how I serve God, or what I do to serve God. Oh, yes, it does. Uh, let's take a look at an example, and there's a number of, I, trimmed, I had to trim it back, but in Acts chapter 16 is one of my favorite examples. Paul and his companions, and I'm just reading now, traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been, and what's the word there? Kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching. He was kept from something. The Holy Spirit kept him from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now, when they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Isn't that interesting? First, the Spirit said, keeps them from going into the province of Asia to preach the gospel, something that you'd think is not bad. Would you agree with me? It's actually pretty good to preach the gospel, wouldn't you say? Scripture tells us, go preach the gospel to every nation. The Spirit kept him from going there. Then he tries to get in, he gets to the border of Mycenae and tries to get to Bithynia, and the, and the Spirit of Christ, which is the Holy Spirit again, keeps him from going over there. So they passed by Mycenae, went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, and this, uh, the person writing is the physician, Dr. Luke, who's writing it. It was a team that was ministering together. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had, what's the word? Called us to preach the gospel to them. They bypassed the other places, and, they, and the Spirit said, don't preach to them. I want you to preach to them. 
Now, here's the question I want to ask you. Do you think that if Paul had asked or had said, it doesn't matter where I evangelize and raise up churches, just so long as I'm doing it, considering what we've just read here, you know, the Spirit says, I don't want you to go in the province of Asia, and I don't want you to go to Bithynia. And Paul says, that's exactly where I'm going. It doesn't matter. Just as long as I'm doing God's work, it doesn't matter. Do you think that God would have been pleased with him? From what we just read? In fact, if he had, when the Spirit said, don't go there and don't go there, and he had done it, we would say he had what? Disobeyed. Do you think that God rewards us for disobedience? He, uh, we, certainly don't, we certainly do not reward our children for disobedience, do we? And the Heavenly Father will not, will not credit us and will not reward us for disobedience. And Paul did the right thing. He said, okay, then I won't go to the province of Asia and I won't go to Bithynia. I'll go to Macedonia. Suppose uh, he would have gone to the province of Asia or Mycenae and had done a good work there, even though the Holy Spirit clearly wanted him to, uh, uh, not to. I mean, is it possible that he could have gone to the province of Asia and, the pro- and to Bithynia and still done good work there? Is it possible that people would have got saved? Absolutely, because Isaiah says God's word will not return to him void. So if God's word is, pro- is proclaimed, remember Paul said that about his enemies, he said they do it out of envy, but in either way I don't care because God's word is being declared. He said that in the book of Philippians. And that's because Paul knew that even if it was de- being, de- if, as long as it was being declared, it would not come back void. It would accomplish that which it was set out to do. Because God's work has, word has inherent power in it. And so he could have seen many people come to Christ there. He could have raised up church leaders. He could have raised up churches there. And would he have been rewarded? Would we have thought he was a great man? Yes or no? Would we have known? Would, would we have known that he was in disobedience to God? Absolutely not. We wouldn't have. And we would have judged the thing and said... He is successful. He's doing God's work. People are coming to Christ. Churches are getting raised up. Leaders are being raised up. He is, God is going to reward him mightily. And yet, because you and I have, a, have the opportunity to look behind the scenes and see what God was saying to him behind the scenes, we know that he would not have been rewarded because he would have been in disobedience. Wow, that's a sobering thought, isn't it? What we know is that Paul had already ministered in those places before, and what God wanted was for him to go to Macedonia. Where is Macedonia? Europe. He had been ministering in Asia in trip number one. Now God is calling him to Europe. God wanted the gospel in Europe. He had a plan. He had a master plan. Where, uh, to take the gospel where it hadn't been yet. Now, why did it matter? Because God is building a kingdom. God is building a kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the, what is the word? Household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together 
grows into a holy temple to the Lord, in the Lord, in Him you, are, you also are being built. We are being placed, in, put into a spot. He's making a kingdom and He's making a, a temple, a habitation for Himself, and He places us in the right places. He says, Jesus, you are the cor- cornerstone. He says, uh, Apostles and prophets, you are the foundation. And then he lays, as Peter calls it, the living stones in place. He's building a big dwelling place for himself. And he says, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul didn't have a clue how to build the kingdom. And neither do you and I. Would you agree with that? We don't have a clue. Uh, you know, you're all, we're all watching what's going on over here on the, on the, on the west side of the building, right? This addition. And uh, this week, uh, Chris and I went through those double doors there. You're not supposed to go through there, but we did. Uh, we didn't go ultimately outside or anything. We just, you know, through the... And we were looking and watching, and we stood there and marveled. We just said, this is amazing. Like, how do they know what's the, what, what, what's the next step what's the next piece who knows what's going on around here like and yet it seems to be getting there you know i mean uh, they're not starting with the drywallers did you notice that <laughs> you're like what if they had built that out of drywall and started that you know and then do the steel later you know but everybody everybody in his place at the right time and synchronized with all these different trades and sub trades and stuff and it's like a you know just trying to coordinate that all and i'm going Wow, somebody here knows what they're doing. And it isn't me. (laughs) Someone understands us. And as complex as that looks to me, it is nothing compared to building a kingdom. Nothing. So where did you and I get the idea, as seems to be in Western Christianity, that we knew What's best for God and his kingdom? And which piece should be put where and when and how? He's the master builder, true? He's the master architect. He's the great architect and designer and builder. And, um, and then we have this idea like we know what we're doing. Wow. God knows what he's doing, not you or I. Maybe... God calls someone to be an accountant in the marketplace, to build a strong firm that would help many churches and ministries effectively. And then all the multitudes of people who, uh, um, whose, you know, uh, multitudes of people in those ministries, that those ministries eternally changed would have been credited to that person. Instead, he or she became a pastor and such a person. You know, sometimes the guys that become pastors are the wrong guys. Would you agree? And they're useless. Some of us are useless because it's the wrong person in the wrong place. And then there's some who are pastors that were supposed to be marketplace leaders and some whom God turned around and said, I want you to go in the marketplace and I want you to start off a business. I want you to turn in a corporation or something. And I want you to do this great work of supporting tremendous ministries all around the world. God knows who should be, I mean, he gifts us each. He gives us opportunities. He gives us provisions, all these things. And he puts each and every one of us exactly in the precise place. And so when we're in the wrong place, we don't get credited for that. 
when we don't do what God wants us to do. Uh, if only, in some cases, we had sought the Lord earnestly, the Lord would have shown us. Instead, we lose our reward at Christ's judgment seat. This, the works he did, uh, when, when we're in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing, the works that we did, and that Paul would have done if he had done the wrong thing, will be burnt up because they weren't what God wanted. Look what, uh, look what 1 Corinthians says. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer what? Loss. He suffers loss. Or perhaps, uh, uh, and, and so this is really, really important. Or perhaps God wanted you to join and serve in a particular church, but you think that where you attend is none of his business. It's your decision. Uh, but it isn't. It is not your decision to make. We, we think that we can just come and go as we please, do, oh, I didn't like that, and I don't like that theology, and I don't like this, and I, I don't like that. And we, are, we think we're in a smorgasbord, and we can just come and go as we please and pop ourselves wherever. Do you know something? That is not your choice to make. It's not our choice. So if we land up serving or going somewhere where he doesn't want us to be so that we're not helping where we are supposed to be, then we lose our reward. I'm thinking of a woman by the name of Barb. And uh, when we started the church in, at Faithway uh, back in 1984, we started, as most of you know, with our six, uh, four of them, uh, five years and under, an alcoholic and a 23-year-old nurse, this uh, Barb exactly. And uh, the reason we wanted Barb there, we asked her to come. Uh, the alcoholic, Pete, was already living there, but uh, Barb wasn't living there. We asked her to move from Kitchen Waterloo over there. She was a nurse. And we asked her if she'd move there because she could play the piano and we needed music. You can't have services and not have any music, you know. And uh, so we, we needed a pianist. And uh, so what she said to us was this, I'll give you three months. I'll give you three months because there's nobody in, in your church that I can marry. Uh, my, uh, my boys were all too young, and she wasn't going to wait. <laughs> you know, she was 23, they were five. And so, <laughs> and, so, uh, and so she said, three months, that's all you get. But as she was praying, uh, the Holy Spirit wanted her to stay. And she stayed, and she did all our music for the entire eight years that we were there. And... Uh, and then she ended up marrying the alcoholic. <laughs> and they have four boys, and they're all grown up now. And he became an elder. I, I led him to Christ, and he changed and transformed. He became an elder. He's still an elder over there. And they, she came for three months, and 28 years later, she's still there. And during that time, many people came to Christ, and lives were changed and transformed. And because of what she did in listening to God and being in the right place at the right time, doing what, she, doing what she thought was completely wrong. She would never get married that way. God had the perfect plan in place, and she gets credited for being part of the changed and transformed lives for eternity. Do you see what I mean? It matters where you are. It matters very much where you are and what you're doing. So she'll be credited. 
Some have married out of God's will and their calls have been thwarted. Others have entangled themselves with certain friends who kept them from their calling. And I want to tell you something. If you've got friends that keep you from doing what God wants you to do, it ain't worth it. I've lost friends because I insisted that I was going to keep on the road that God had for me. I've lost friends over that. Anything that keeps you from fulfilling your role in God's master building plan will lead to a loss of reward. It's not about what you want to do for God, but about what He wants you to do for Him. He is Lord, not you. What keeps you from doing His will for your life? Some miss their calling and reward because of envy. They want the big role. They want a more visible role. They don't know what comes with a visible role. But sometimes that's why. And then they they move out of their area and they fail miserably. Others do 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 not do what they're supposed to because of fear. Often fear of what their parents are going to think for going to that church or for getting involved in ministry or leaving there, uh, you know, and doing what God wants them to do. Sometimes it's fear of failure that will, uh, that will cause them. There's no way that I'm going to gamble everything and uh, go into ministry or gamble everything and leave this business and start a business of my own as God is calling me to do because there's a fear. Whatever the motivation is, it'll cause you to lose your reward. There's another reason that sometimes people don't know what God wants them to do or aren't doing what God wants them to do is because they don't earnestly seek for his will in this matter. I was praying with a gentleman uh, this last Thursday at the Sunrise Summit who in his list of of, uh, three things or four things, it was four things on his list that he was fasting and praying about and one of them was, and I'll talk about a little bit later, uh, was about uh, if, to see if God had a specific assignment for him in 2012. He's a marketplace leader. And he was asking, God, do you have something specific that you want me to do in 2012? I thought, boy, that's amazing. That was on his prayer and fasting list. Uh, that's a- a- excellent. And we need, to, uh, we need to be following that. Here's, uh, here's another way that you can lose your reward, by following false doctrines. Now, some people think it just doesn't matter what we believe. You have your belief, I have mine, so long as we end up in heaven, all is well. But that isn't true at all. What we believe determines how we live and act. Is it not true? What we believe determines how we act. And it's our actions, our doings, that get rewarded. That's what we discovered last week. So what you believe and what you're thinking determines how you act, and how you act determines what you get. Wow, that's a sobering thought. That's a wake-up call. For example, let's, uh, I'm just going to take a couple, and we could take a whole bunch. <laughs> I, I'm just picking two out of the hat, sort of. But one would be, for example, the once saved, always saved doctrine. And some people, they fight and they argue and they bicker over that uh, kind of thing. Scripture is very clear on it. We have an entire document written out. Chris did a great job in just writing it all out uh, for us, so uh, it's easy to follow. A person who believes this doctrine will often not take care to make sure that he or she is a believer. Uh, Yet Romans 11 warns us, and there's many passages that warn us in this, but here's an example. Note that, note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided that you, what? That you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be, what? 
cut off. There's a condition there. And we talked a little bit about that last week, so I'm not going to get into it. And, and, they, and they won't be diligent. And, and the reason this is so important, because if, if you do not believe what Scripture is saying, you say, well, I have my belief, and I, I just don't like your belief, and on and on like this, and you're trite with it, and you're careless with it, and you don't fast and pray into what you believe when you disagree with the church. If you, listen, if you disagree with what the church is teaching, you better go to fasting and prayer and take it very seriously. Because if you end up on the wrong side of this equation, do you know what happens? There's huge loss of reward. Let me show you how it happens. A person who believes in a once saved, always saved, then just figures, oh, I said a little prayer way back when. I got my little get out of, uh, out of hell free card that I can use, you know. And I just pull it out at the judgment and poof, I get by. And all will be well. But if that is not so, if you end up being wrong... And you, uh, uh, you, there's huge potential loss here. There's huge potential loss. And if you don't, uh, and, and, and I want to get on a sensitive, I'm, I'm going to say something a little bit more sensitive now. I know this is a troublesome one when you're thinking about lost sons and daughters and parents and siblings and stuff. I know what it's like. We, for 12 years, two of, our, two of our teens gone from God, completely gone from God. But you don't hide your, the solution isn't to hide your head in the sand and say, and try to comfort yourself in the dot. The solution is to take your head out of the sand and say, that's what scripture says, they're lost, now I'm going to get friends around with me and we're going to fast and pray and warn. And we're going to battle for their souls as we did. That's the answer. There's much, do, do, do you see, do, do you see the problem? If you are wrong, you lose. Big time. Never mind the reward. It does matter what you believe because it'll determine how you're going to act, whether you're just going to pacify yourself with comforting thought and not do anything about it, or whether you're going to do something. James 5 says, My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back. You can't wander from the truth unless you were in the truth in the first place. Remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from what? Death. That's the second death he's talking about there. Uh, separation from God for eternity and cover over a multitude of sins. And aside from losing their own salvation or the loss of a loved one, uh, we forfeit our reward in that case as well. Here's another one, very quickly. Prosperity gospel, because we've got to keep moving here. The prosperity gospel is not just wrong theology, it's dangerous theology. You say, well, it doesn't really matter. Some churches believe it and some don't. And, you know, some of you, you know, Ray, each to their own. Yes, it does matter. It has huge impact. Because it encourages people to... Uh, pray for, expect, and seek wealth and worldly success in this lifetime. And look what Paul warned. He said, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now here's a question I'd have for prosperity teachers. Why would you want to develop a ministry focus that encourages people to pierce themselves with many pangs and plunge themselves into ruin and destruction? True. Jesus warned how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And the question I had, uh, 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 because he said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter uh, the kingdom. Again, I asked, why would you want to develop a ministry focus that makes it harder for people to enter heaven? There's much on the line. God does want us to prosper. He does want us to be uh, healthy. He does want us to be ambitious, but not for the here, for the then. And often he pours out many of these things, health and wealth and all these kinds of things, but not so we can build bigger barns like the rich fool did for himself so that we can expend it in advancing the kingdom, which is bringing more people into the kingdom, for the line and the great tomorrow. That's what it's for. And so there's a big difference whether you have stuff that you're accumulating for yourself so you're comfortable here, or whether you're doing it in order to send it ahead. Not laying treasures here, but laying treasures where? In heaven. It does matter what you believe because it does affect what you're going to do, and what you do does affect how you're going to be rewarded or not be rewarded. All right, there's uh, several others that uh, will just quickly come up. By being weighed down, that's being weighed down by, uh, you know, uh, strongholds and all that, those kinds of things. We've talked a lot about that. That's why we have encountered gods. Some refuse to deal with the junk in their life, and they don't realize that by doing it, they're not effective. They're not effective. They, sometimes they lose their families because they've got an anger issue. And they can't take care of the anger issue because the anger issue is weighing them down. They will not, they will not get it solved. By themselves, so they don't go to encounter, they don't get personal ministry. The result is you lose a reward, or by acting out of impure motives, or by not finishing. Some people start. You know what? If you have a project to do in school, and you've got three months to finish the project, and you work hard the first month, and you got quite far on the project, but you didn't work in the last two months, and now you hand in an incomplete project, you know what you get? A big fat F. Well, at least you used to in school. I don't know if you do anymore. Um, but in real life, you get an F. True? And the same thing, God has a project for you to do in your life. A plan for your life. And if you get started and you quit along the way and you hand it in, you get a F. Lose reward. All right, let's move on to what God rewards us for. Many inwardly believe that only the ministers who've touched millions of lives will stand in the front lines of heaven receiving the greatest rewards, and this simply is not true. Simply isn't true. In the parable of the talents, uh, the master gave one man, or one of the servants, five talents, and the second two, and the third one. And uh, then he went away and he came back, and he called them to account, a perfect picture of the judgment seat of Christ, called them to account, and the first one said, you gave me five, I gained you five back, five more, for a total of ten. Uh, the second came to give his account before the master at the judgment seat, and uh, he said, master, you gave me two, I've gone and gained another two for you, here's four. And then the third one was given one, and, of course, he squandered, and he didn't use it, and God had some pretty miserable things to say about him. And we won't go into that because right now I, I want to focus on the 
on something between these other two. I want you to notice uh, something. I want you to notice the result. Look at what the master, how the master rewards the guy who he gave five and he gained another five for a total of ten. He said, well done, good and what? Faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Actually, it sounds to me like he was faithful over many things. But in the perspective of eternity, even those of us that are faithful over many things, it's just peanuts compared to what he will make us responsible for. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, the, the other guy got two, and he gained another two for a total of four. And uh, I want you to see his reward. Did you see it? Okay, go back to the other one. Thank you, Ken. Ken's very good at this. Now show the one with two rewards. The only difference is the reference. It's the exact same reward. <laughs> I mean, punctuation and everything. His master says the exact same thing. Gives him, says, you are faithful in a few things. I make you faithful. Uh, I'll, I'll put you in charge of many things. Exact same reward. Isn't that exciting? It's a, it, there's absolutely no difference between the two. John 4 verse 36 says, What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? The point is that your station in life, your station in the kingdom, or station in the church does not determine your reward. Faithfulness in that station determines your reward. Oh, that's exciting. He will be rewarded in, uh, we will be rewarded individually according to our own faithful labor. If you're called to be a wife and mother of children, to serve in the nursery, to intercede in the prayer closet, and you've done this faithfully, Nobody notices you. You're in the back room of the nursery. You're not even there when I step in and say, guys, thank you so much for what you're doing. You're not even noticed there. You're so far in the back bowels of this building looking after kids. You're completely unnoticed. And if you're doing exactly what God is calling you to do at that moment and that season in your life, then God says, you've been faithful in little, I'll put you in charge of many. And it won't be any different than the one who's faithful on the stage. And if the one who's on stage isn't entirely faithful, and the one who's hidden is, and you think this one's going to get rewarded, and that one you're not sure about, it's possible this one ends up at the end of the line, and that one ends up at the front of the line. Man, that ought to encourage some of you. Some of you should be dancing right now. <laughs> we have a woman in our church, and I won't name her. And uh, she is, uh, I found out, uh, she's over 50, and she's a single mom. She was living in Winnipeg. Her husband left her many years ago, and uh, loves the Lord, has been praying for many years. And the Lord called her, spoke to her one day, and said, I want you to leave your career. And I want you to leave Winnipeg, and I want you to move to Steinbeck. And your job is going to be to pray for Southland and to pray for Ray. That's what I want you to do. So she did exactly that. And she came over here. Not only that, she's just over 50. She worked with her finances carefully. She lives a simple lifestyle. And she planned her retirement, and she took early retirement. She can live off of what she has made for the rest of her life, and she did it for one reason only, so that she could pray 
for this church and for me. And uh, she mentors people in prayer. Most of you here, there probably is just a handful of you here that know who I'm talking about right now. And if I named her, it might not change how many people here know who I'm talking about. That's an incredible thing. That individual, that woman, do you think she's going to be standing behind some of us that serve faithfully on the stage? (laughs) Not on your life. We might be surprised to find her further up in the line. That's what Scripture is saying. I think that's tremendously exciting, don't you? I really do. And uh, I'm just so thrilled that God has a bunch of people like that in, at Southland. And uh, you will receive your reward if you're faithful. Here's some things that, he, uh, that we get crowns for. For faithfulness and trial and persecution and martyrdom. Of course, we don't experience uh, persecution and martyrdom uh, like they do in 80% of the uh, you know, where 80% of the Christians live, uh, but it's coming here. It'll be here soon enough. And God says he has a reward for that. But we do, uh, we do face testing and trials of other kinds. Whenever trouble comes your way, James says, let it be an opportunity for joy. When you're, for what? An opportunity for what? So when a trial comes to your life, He says, it's an opportunity, one more time, for what? How in the world can it be for joy? For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to grow. Hang on to that phrase. God blesses the people who patiently endure testing. And afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Why should we be joyful in trials? Because God is working all things for, for the good of those who love Him. He's working on your character or someone else's character through you, your trial, in order to get you and them ready for heaven and then to reward you and them. Let me give you an example from my own personal life. God needed to work on, on character things in, in, in my life. Maybe He doesn't have to do that in yours, but He has to in mine. I'm quite a character. <laughs> and uh, many years ago, we were living in Woodstock, and I planted the church, and, as you know, and uh, we were pastoring the church there at Faithway, and one day, it got ugly. It got really ugly. One of the elders' wives uh, yelled, and, uh, yelled and lied about Fran, and yelled at her, and we saw it. She was caught in her lying and everything, it was, it was clear to the elders and everything. It was, it was very serious. Not only that, the same elder went and started his own Bible study and tried to draw all our new converts away from us. And he, he would run it right on a Wednesday night Bible study that was run by me in the church. I mean, it was a horrible time, and I got bitter. I, and, and I said, I don't deserve to be treated like this. I mean, I gave up a flying career, and I don't, I don't, I don't need to take this. That's how I felt inside. And so I remember driving the car. I can remember exactly where we were, and I can remember looking at my wife and saying to Fran, nobody is ever going to do this to me again in a church. This is nonsense. This is garbage. Well, it is garbage, and it is nonsense. But where did I get the idea that I didn't deserve to be treated like that when my Lord and Savior came from heaven and was treated much worse for me? But that was my... That was my attitude, and boy, did I have a chip and attitude on my shoulder. 
And while I knew that I had to listen to the Lord and I couldn't leave till he said, I believed in listening to prayer by then and I was following like that, so I didn't go, but my heart left. And I didn't love those people anymore. And I didn't want to be at that church anymore. And uh, finally the Lord gave us, uh, <clears throat> gave us an opening and we left. And we left on very good terms and all of that. But, uh, but, uh, but, but I was happy to be gone from there in that sense. And I thought I was going to get into teaching. I was, I was never going to go into a church again. That was a hidden motive. In fact, I told people there, I'm going to go teach in a college or seminary somewhere. I went and I t- started taking more training. And uh, I was going to get a doctorate and all that kind of stuff. And that's, that's what I was going to do. Well, the Lord had other ideas. And meanwhile, I got my airline transport license back. And I got two flying jobs out of Winnipeg. And it was kind of my secret ticket out of the church. Because I would be able to do that. And, well, someday, 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 you know. And so the Lord was going to fix that in me. And so he canceled those two offers. And uh, on one day, within one hour, I lost both those job opportunities. And then uh, I finally ended up on a truck, away from home, away from my wife, away from everybody and everything that I loved and knew and wanted, and I hated it. And I was so angry. I knew it was him, and I said, why are you treating me like this? You know, first they treated me like that, now you're treating me like this? I was laying in my bunk the one day, and I had a driver I had hired, and he was driving. Lay in the bunk. I was on the truck for three years. And I just lashed out with my hand like this, and I broke my hand right here. Had to wear a big cast, and it was awkward, you know, trying to explain how I broke my hand driving a truck. (laughs) Try that. You need a long time to explain that. And, uh, and, uh, but God just kept the pressure on it, and finally I just said, I realized I, I had sinned, I'd rebelled against him, and I confessed it, and I got right, and I said, that's fine, Lord, if you want me on a truck forever. I didn't know what he was doing with me at the time. I just knew I'd done wrong. And I confessed it, I got right with him, and everything was fine. I started enjoying myself, and I said, well, then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll buy more trucks, and I'll just put other guys on the road, and I'll stay at home, and that's fine. I'll be a trucker for the rest of my life. This, this is all good. And then when it was all over, and I had fully submitted to him, then God put me into this church, uh, way back when it wasn't like this. And, uh, and then I'll never forget driving to work one of the first days from Cleefault over here, and the sun was rising, and I was, I was yelling at the top of my lungs, Oh, God, thank you for putting me back in a church again. I love serving you. And I was, I was just so happy on the highway. And I said, and, and, I, and I'll tell you, I'm, after that, the quitting idea and this whole idea that any, anybody deserves, you know, that I deserve to be treated, that went out the window. He had cured that in me. And I've had much greater challenges than one woman yelling at my wife (laughs) since then. Much bigger challenges. And you know what I often do now? This is a habit. In fact, Fran and I were talking about this just a couple weeks ago. I said, honey, every time that it looks like a major trial or test is coming and something's going to happen, you know what's one of the first things I do now? She said, what do you do? I I say, Lord, no matter what's coming, I'm in. I'm in. I just want you to know that beforehand, before I know what's going to happen here, I'm in. Now, you know what's so exciting about that? 
if he hadn't dealt with that character stuff, I would have got out of this and I wouldn't have ended up with any reward. Do you see that? Sometimes that's the best thing. That's why he says, see it as an opportunity of joy. Because in the midst of your trial or testing, he's working it out for good. Not just in the dot, but for eternity. Amen? That's when you'll really care. Do you agree with that? Oh, I know you do. I know you do. And you can win the crown of life for that. Here's another one. Uh, for loving his appearance. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, Now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness. Here's another one you can wear. You're going to wear those things proudly. You know why you're going to wear crowns proudly? Because they're, gonna, they're, they're going to symbolize his approval in your life. It's like a card you get from your wife or your husband or something or a, or a son or a daughter or a parent or something that is extremely meaningful. It's long past Christmas. Do you know that I still have my wife's Christmas card sitting on my desk? I have a couple of other cards there too from at Christmas because of what they say in there and I just won't get rid of it. And you will want those crowns for that exact reason. Because of what it symbolizes. His approval in your life. And it says, the crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that great day of his return. Are you looking forward to it? Oh. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his glorious return. They're looking forward to seeing Jesus and getting ready to meet him. You can win a reward for loving his appearance. Did you know that? Right now, Fran and I have been, uh, we're just finishing up week seven, staying at Lance and Julie's, our oldest daughter, Julie. And they're just so gracious and kind and loving. <laughs> they treat us way better than we deserve. But we are staying over there while we're waiting for our house to be finished. And, and uh, so it's week seven. And so this is the family. Here it is. is Lance, the man of the house. And there's Julie. And there's Hallie. And there's Asher. And then there's Shaggy. Shaggy is the dog. Shaggy is a, is a Shih Tzu plus some other stuff mixed in there. He's terribly cute, shaggy, lovable, black and white, you know, tail up and hair over his eyes. He can't see where he's going. And, and uh, uh, just cute, cute. Uh, but you know what, Shaggy? You know what's the problem with Shaggy? Shaggy's good for nothing in that family. He's absolutely good for nothing. He doesn't carry anything. He doesn't carry any burdens or load, uh, you know, like a mule would or something like that. He, he won't lay eggs for your breakfast. He doesn't, he doesn't give, produce milk for your milkshake. He doesn't make the ultimate sacrifice and give you bacon. He does, he's good for nothing. <laughs> all that Shaggy does is, is love. That's all he does. And in fact, he's actually quite disturbing. Every single night, he's bad. He barks during the night. And then Lance has to get up in the middle of the night. And, you know, he's in his kennel, and they've got it covered, and, 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 and he's too loud. And he barks, and so they stick him in a doghouse. You know, I say, oh, he, he brings him in in the morning because he sticks him in the garage and the kennel and covers it and stuff. And then in the morning, he brings back in, and I look at him, and I say, Shagster? And that's what I call him, not Shyster. I call him Shagster. <laughs> I say, Shagster, were you in the doghouse again? And, because he's naughty, and he's disturbing. But you know what? There's something about him. He's just lovable. Every morning I get up, you know, uh, usually I'm, I'm up there early, real early uh, with him and I let him out of his kennel and he comes there. And then I pick him up or sometimes when I take him out, you know, to, for his break, 
the powder room. And then he, and he, he, he just licks me like crazy, and his tail's just going crazy. And then when I go and I let him back in 15 minutes later, he licks the other side. Then I put him down, and he chews on his bones, and then I'm working at my computer and praying and reading the scriptures and stuff. And I look at him, and then he, he notices uh, my attention. He comes bounding over. <laughs> And he's just all excited, and he just loves me to death. And he looks at me, and one day I was, I was just, I just said, man, Shaggy, I love you. <laughs> he, he just wins your heart. So one day, I went, to the, I went to the pantry, and I opened it up. I knew where the treats were, and I gave him a treat. And then he just loved me more, and he licked me, and, and he was just so happy. And, uh, and you're, you're just supposed to give him one treat, eh? So I looked around the corner. Nobody was coming. I gave him another one. I gave him six that morning. <laughs> I gave him six. And he just loved me. And he loves me. And you know, the one day I was reflecting on it, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, Ray, do you love me the way Shaggy loves you? Do you just like to be with me? Or do I have to carry some burden or produce something for you or give you something? Do you love me just for the sake of loving me? The way I love you. And there's only way, one way, that you can learn to love him, and that's to spend time with him. It's the only way. And God says that there is a reward for that, a crown of righteousness. You know, sometimes when we're singing here, um, I'm just so moved by what we're singing. And uh, I'm in my spirit and sometimes out loud, I'll just say, Lord, I just love you so much. And I, I, I hardly know what to do with my hands. Like, you've got to do something. Sometimes I'll just go like this. Sometimes I'll go like this. And it's just a symbol. And I said, Lord, and when I do it, it just it seems like it just something more springs out of it. So I love you, Jesus. I love you so much. And you know what? Many of you do. And he says, there's a crown of righteousness for people that are looking forward to his return. This morning I was sitting at the computer and I was thinking, Lord, what should I change in this message? And then I just started saying, I love you, Lord. I want you to come back. I want you to come back soon. It's a crown of righteousness for us, right? He'll reward us for that. It's not about the dot, my friend. It's about the line. It's about the great tomorrow. Then there's for shepherding God's flock. First Peter chapter 5 says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. <clears throat> not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those, who, uh, those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, how do you win this reward? Listen to me carefully. This is the task of every believer in Jesus Christ, to move from trainee to trainer, from novice to master, from torchbearer to torch passer, from child to young man to spiritual father. Any believer that's more than, you know, several years old in the faith ought to be becoming a spiritual father to someone or someones. That's the task of every believer. 
That's what God wants and expects. You know, we get used to this idea that we're here just to fill a seat and just come and take it in. Next week, Chris is going to speak on heaven. Ah, just tell me more about heaven. Your job, our job is to take in so that we can give out to other people and shepherd them. And can you imagine that if we shepherd people that <clears throat> then others can, uh, don't have to shepherd in, it means that they're released to go and reach out for more people and we can reach more for the kingdom. It's very, very important. Hebrews 5 says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, and he was deriding him for that. If it is not happening right now in your life, then you need to take steps to make sure it does. By the time, you, uh, 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 because it's important. There may be exceptions, of course. There's a season, young babies, or job, or whatever. But this is the rule. This uh, person, back to the guy that I was praying with. Uh, at the beginning of the uh, Sunrise Summit, I was standing like this against the, uh, against the tech booth over there, watching people file in. As soon as they had their seats, I was just kind of prayerfully watching who I was going to sit down and pray with. Because often I look for somebody that's out of, my, out of the group that I work with, uh, the 55 or 65 guys that are there, and uh, try to find somebody that I can pray with from my, from my group because I don't get to pray with all of them. And um, so there was one, a marketplace leader, and he was sitting there, and I never get to pray with him. And, and he was sitting there, and I thought, yeah, that's who I'm going to go sit with. So I went and I sat down with him. And as I told you, on his list was this aspect of, do you have a special assignment, something you want me to do this year in 2012? So I prayed over him, laid hands on him as we were asked to do, and he prayed for me because one of the things I was saying, I said, Lord, I'm so overworked, and overloaded with work in some areas, I need some more, I need some more shepherds coming up and leaders coming up in some of the different aspects of our ministry here. And uh, he was praying for me for that. And so Chris was leading the sun, this particular Sunrise uh, Summit, and he was further down the list of things that we were praying for, and all at once in my spirit, there was this jolt. And I went and I said his name in my spirit, and I just went, that's him, it's him. He's supposed to be one that's supposed to be helping me in this one particular area and helping me lead this, this one particular area. And, you know, I had to kind of pull my finger back. I, was, I just knew it was him. So I well, Lord... I was writing and journaling. If this is really your will, then, you know, uh, then speak to me more. But I could not get out. I couldn't pray about anything after that. I knew he was the guy. And uh, finally, I interrupted him. I said, you know, let's just stop praying about these other things. You know, you had a question here. You wanted me to pray for a specific assignment the Lord had for you for 2012. Well, God answered the prayer. I know what the answer is. He was so relieved. He said, good, what, what's, the, what's the answer? I said, you're supposed to help me. <laughs> and he started chuckling. He said, what am I supposed to help you with? And I said, you're supposed to help me lead this big group of people over here. And uh, so he took it to prayer. He got right back to me and he said, yes, absolutely, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very excited about, uh, about doing that. That's what it's about. And the last one for winning souls. First Thessalonians says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? If your child is missing for several days and after some diligent searching, a friend finds that, that child and, and, and brings him, him or her home, how would you feel toward that friend? Wouldn't you be grateful? Well, that's how God feels toward us when we go and bring others home to him that are away from Jesus.
People are thirstier than we think. Uh, you know, um, back in uh, a few years ago, I was invited to go with a couple of marketplace guys down on a on a ministry trip down to Panama. And so I went down uh, and I roomed with a guy by the name of uh, Randy Wilgamuth and we had a wonderful time. And it was really for marketplace leaders. It wasn't for pastors, but they had challenged me to come, uh, the leaders of this organization, uh, thinking probably that I wouldn't come, but I, I finally did after some persuasion. I went. And so I took the same training in evangelism and stuff. And then what they did was set them up with business and government leaders throughout Panama. To specifically to give them the gospel. And many got saved that way. So anyway, I went through the training just like everyone else, but at the end of the training, they didn't know what to do with me because I, I wasn't a marketplace leader and I wasn't a government leader. They didn't know what to do with me. So when they were laying hands on these guys and, and women, before they sent them out, they gave them a specific assignments, set up specific um, uh, appointments with these leaders of Panama, uh, they sat me out. I didn't get prayed over anything. I sat on the sidelines and just watched because they didn't know what to do with me. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And uh, so, uh, so at the end of it, I said, well, what do you want me to do? Just sit here while they now go and witness throughout Panama? What do you want to do? Well, they said finally, well, go with Randy Wilgamuth, uh, but you be quiet and you just pray. And uh, <laughs> that'll, that'll be fine. That's your job. Okay, I went with Randy Wilgamuth and, and Randy was assigned to go to a a large food processing plant, huge thing, you know, tin, tins of food and packages of food and all that kind of stuff. And the, plant, the, man, the man who ran the whole thing is a born-again believer, uh, Panamanian, and, uh, but his assistant was not, and he wanted us to witness to him. And so he set up a meeting with this guy in the boardroom and the two of us, so two Canadians and one from Panama. And uh, so Randy started off, shared his testimony. Then he looked to me, and I, so then I jumped in, and uh, I continued and led him to the Lord. So the two of us had led him to the Lord together. This manager was so excited, he took us out for lunch at an expensive restaurant, then conveniently forgot his wallet, and I had to pay. <laughs> but then, because he was so excited about what had happened to this guy, he said, well, there's two executive secretaries. I want you to witness to two. They're, they're not saved either. So we drove back to the plant after lunch and sat down and, had, and brought them in together. And within, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes, uh, Randy and I were uh, tag-teaming together again. And both of them gave their hearts to, to Jesus. And they were crying and mascara running. And it was just special, you know. And then on the Thursday, then he was set up with another, uh, I think it was a government leader or something. And they, they didn't want me in that one. So they said, well, you stay back here and do some discipling here tonight. You can disciple those people that you led to Christ there the other day. So that whole group came. And I was supposed to disciple them. And the, ma- the assistant manager brought his wife. She's Spanish. Didn't know a lick of English. These others did. But this w- woman didn't. And they gave me a translator. So there was about six or seven of us at this table. And we were going to do discipling. So I, went to, I pulled the translator across and I said, Look, we're not going to disciple them. We're going to lead that Spanish woman to Jesus right now. And her eyes just brightened. She went, yes, yes. So I started, and immediately the others caught on, and they were going, yeah, yeah. You could just see it in them. <laughs> Get her. And uh, in a little while, she got saved. And then we took pictures, and they were hugging, and, and oh, it, it, was, it was all very special. It's very special when people come to Jesus, aren't they? And many of you at Christmas brought friends and people, and they got saved. 
and some more have been saved in, recent, in, in the weeks following Christmas. And in the service last weekend, in, last weekend, some more. It's amazing. And you know what Daniel said? There's a crown of rejoicing that is reserved for us uh, when we get involved in that. And you can get involved by praying for lost people, by inviting them to church, by witnessing to them, by giving, so that we can reach more. And Daniel 12.3 says, Those who are uh, wise will shine like the uh, brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Oh, <laughs> Is that special? Yeah. We can have a part in that. Oh, there's so much reward to be one church. I want to ask you something. Are you looking forward to Jesus coming? I'm telling you, it's not going to be long. And I'm not just saying it. It won't be long. Make sure that what you do today and tomorrow and the next week and next month, and next year, is in line with, how, with, uh, with what his purpose in your life is, so that when he comes, you don't have to be ashamed, as John said, but that you can stand in confidence before him, excited because you're prepared for the exam, <laughs> knowing you're going to get a good score, and that you're going to hear those amazing words. Oh, I prayed about it so many times this week. Lord, I want to hear those words. Just hear those words. Well done. That'd be worth it, wouldn't it? Be all worth it. Lord Jesus, help us towards that end. In Jesus' name, amen.